2 uh, Kings chapter number 20 tonight, 2 Kings chapter 20. I was reminded a few moments ago that this bottle of water is still here, and I'm kind of thinking that this might be like the pot that never fails, you know, just uh, that pot of oil that just keeps on giving. We'll see. I wonder at what point it becomes unhealthy to continually drink out of the same bottle. Uh, all right, well, I, I've started to kind of try and challenge you in some areas uh, regarding prayer and your prayer life, and this is something, again, that I've been studying in different ways, and, and uh, I, I started off uh, last year really just digging into the scriptures on what the Bible has to say about prayer and, and looking at it from different angles. You know, one of the things that I looked at was uh, the, the things that the Lord explicitly said about the subject of prayer, things that he taught us directly in regard to prayer. Uh, and then I, I also took some time to study over some of the things that the Lord told us directly that we are to pray for or to pray about. And then I went back and I started looking at examples of times in the Bible when people would pray and talk to the Lord. And I'm just telling you that the book is just full of, of teaching and lessons that we can learn about prayer and uh, it really is somewhat of a difficult thing to even know where to begin as we kind of look at this subject. But I just want to share with you some things that the Lord's been challenging me about in, in regard to my prayer life. And hopefully they'll be helpful to you as well. So in 2 Kings chapter 20, we read of a situation in Hezekiah, King Hezekiah's life, and, and, and his interaction with the Lord uh, about this issue. And I think there are some things that we can learn here as well. So if you're in 2 Kings 20, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the scripture. And uh, we're going to read the first seven verses of 2 Kings chapter 20. The Bible says here, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said uh, unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Now that's a pretty clear and direct statement that the Lord made. There wasn't a lot of ambiguity about that. He said, I want you to set your house in order, you're going to die. Look at verse number 2. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass, afore Isaiah was gone, uh, gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again, and tell Hezekiah the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears, behold, I will heal thee, on the third day thou shalt go up to the, unto the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. And they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word tonight, Lord, we're, we're a very needy people. Lord, we need to, be, we need to hear from you tonight. And uh, Lord, I need your help to be able to proclaim your word to your people. And so... Uh, Lord, we come before you seeking that help. I pray, Lord, that you would give us tonight uh, understanding of your word, not just intellectual understanding, but, but a spiritual understanding of, of, 
the reality and the truth of your word and how it applies in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that tonight your word would challenge us and, 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 and convict us where necessary, Lord, that it would rebuke us and it would reprove us if necessary, but, Lord, that it would also correct and instruct us and help us, Lord, to take what you give us tonight and apply it to our lives and, and uh, Lord, to live these things out, that we would be doers of your word and not hearers only. Would you help us, Lord, to be a praying people, a people that seeks your face and your guidance and your help and doesn't rely on our own understanding, Father. So, Lord, have your will and your way as we look into your word over these next few moments. Take complete control, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, this is an interesting uh, record of the life of Hezekiah here by reading these seven verses you get the idea and the understanding that Hezekiah had some kind of a an infection the Bible calls it a boil here and it it, it had uh, festered to a point that he was at the point of death and and the Lord sent to him the prophet Isaiah to come and to, to tell him that he was not going to recover but that he would die and that he needed to be prepared to die and that's by the way good advice for all of us we ought to always be prepared to meet the Lord because we don't know when our last day on this earth is going to be. And so the Lord gave him some mercy and grace and letting him know, hey, you're about to die. And he gave him an opportunity to set his house in order and he told him to do that. And I would say for all of us, we ought to make sure that our house, our lives are in order and prepared and ready to meet the Lord at any time because that could happen. And so Hezekiah here, of course, in his life as a, a king who, for the most part, was trying to follow the will of the Lord. And, and though he wasn't perfect, he was a good king and, and was, was following in, in obedience to the Lord. And, and here he cries out to the Lord and asks for him to be merciful and to spare his life. And, and of course, as we read, the Lord did that. And so there's some things that I believe that we can learn about the subject of prayer from this passage, and I'll, I want to go to some other passages of Scripture as well tonight, but, but to kind of help us to understand maybe how, how we ought to pray when we have a great need in our lives. I don't think there's probably any need that we've ever faced in our life that would be greater than that which Hezekiah was facing here. He was at the point of death. I mean, this was literally a life or death situation for him, and he cried out to the Lord to try and meet that need and to help him in this time of need. And the Lord did that. One of the things that I want to point out as a little bit of a side note here is verse number 7. It says, And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. And they took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. And I, I want to say to you that this was a miraculous healing that the Lord did. But he used some wisdom that he gave to people to know how to help him recover from it. Sometimes people think that, you know, if I'm praying for something that God's just going to miraculously, you know, make, make someone uh, sitting in a wheelchair stand up and walk or uh, just automatically open blind eyes. And he can do that, obviously. Jesus did that often in his ministry. But sometimes the Lord uses and directs people and gives wisdom. I think of sometimes, you know, doctors and, and people like that, that, that the Lord will enable to, to know what to do and how to uh, help someone to recover. And so even when we pray, it's not necessarily wrong to pray that the Lord would use even earthly means, if we could put it that way, to meet a need. I think it's wise. We're praying for people in their time of, uh, of physical uh, ailments and things. I think it's wise not only to pray for miraculous 
touches from the Lord, but also to pray for the Lord to give wisdom to doctors and nurses and those involved and, and, uh, and to use even the technology that we have to try and help and, and raise people up. And so the Lord did that here. But, but as we look at really what happened here and, and just kind of examine this, I, I want you to notice that it says in uh, verse number 2, it says, Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth with a perfect heart, and, and I have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And notice verse 4, It came to pass, afore Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, and if we were to read on, he tells him basically the exact opposite of what he had just told him. In other words, the Lord said, you're going to die, and now after Hezekiah prayed, the Lord said, okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to allow you to recover from this and give you another 15 years of life. What do we learn from that? Well, I think it's important for us to remember that prayer makes a difference. Prayer makes a difference. You know, sometimes I think we pray with this kind of mentality or this idea in the back of our minds that it really doesn't matter so much how I pray or what I pray because whatever is going to happen is kind of foreordained to happen and it really isn't going to matter whether or not I, I beseech the Lord or, or seek the Lord on, on behalf of this situation. And there really is a, an entire theological uh, movement or direction that kind of teaches that. I mean, that the whole Calvinist mindset that everything is foreordained of God and there's no uh, changing or, or turning Him in any way. And, uh, and I'll tell you that that's, if, if you believe that and you hold to that, you're going to really run into an issue here philosophically in this passage of Scripture. Because in verse number 1, at the end of the verse, it says, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Now God knew, because in his infinite foreknowledge, God knew that things were going to change. However, at the moment that the Lord gave the word, he made a clear statement, you are going to die, you will not live. And if you believe that there is no possibility of uh, of the Lord uh, changing circumstances as a result of our prayer, you run into a problem here because really what you're saying then is that God lied in verse number 1. Because he said he was going to die and not live, but he lived and didn't die, therefore God must have lied. No, actually I believe that the Lord is showing us that prayer makes a difference. That when we seek the face of God over a particular need in our lives, even the most dire of circumstances, even when it would seem as though there is no hope. <laughs> you talk about a circumstance where, where there's no hope. When God says you're going to die, you would probably say, okay, that's it. It's finished. There's no more hope in this that I'm going to live. But Hezekiah turned to the Lord and prayer made a difference. There was a difference made. The Bible says in James chapter 5 and verse number 16 that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much or it accomplishes much. It changes things. And I think it's important for us to remember as we, uh, as we pray, as we lift up requests before the Lord, as we did just a few moments ago, that, that the exercise of prayer really does matter it's not just something that we're commanded to do, so we do it regardless of the outcome. 
but actually that the Lord has told us that we can pray to Him and He will hear and answer according to His will. And so we see here that prayer makes a difference. And then I want you to also notice that it says here in, in verse number, uh, at the end of verse number 3, there's a statement here. So verse 3 is a sentence with a period. And then there's four words, a four-word sentence at the end of verse number 3. It says, and Hezekiah wept sore. In other words, when he was praying here, he wasn't praying in uh, just kind of some, somewhat of a, uh, you know, a nonchalant and half-distracted, light-hearted manner. Uh, he was praying with passion, with commitment, with sincerity, with earnestness. There was something very real about his prayer life to the point where it had actually moved him to tears. I, uh, I've heard people say, in fact, I've even heard preachers say, that they don't like the phrase, you know, I'm praying hard about this, or I'm praying very seriously about that. And the reason is because they say if you're praying, you're praying, and there's really no degrees of prayer or difference in prayer, but I would say that the Bible actually tells a different story. Here we find that Hezekiah was praying with some passion. He had turned his face to the wall. He was crying out to the Lord. It uses terms like in verse number 3, in verse, uh, first part of the verse, I beseech thee, O Lord. He's begging the Lord. He's, he's actually moved to a point of tears. So as we look at this and consider for a moment, are there really degrees or differences in prayer? I want to show you a few examples and hopefully kind of put that argument to bed. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, if you will, please. Matthew chapter 6. And we read here right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord gives some very clear instructions on prayer. Matthew 6 and verse number 6. It says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. So he says here, when you pray, make sure that your prayer is not just vain repetition. It's not just empty words that you're just reciting. And we see people do this all the time. In fact, certain religions are really bad about, you know, teaching certain memorized prayers, right? And uh, repeat the Lord's Prayer or whatever it would be. It's interesting and ironic to me that in the very passage that the Lord said, don't use vain repetitions, they took a, a model prayer and they've made it into a vain repetition. <laughs> you know, just something that we're going to say and recite. And there are prayers like that. You know, our Father, which art in heaven, or, or maybe, uh, you know, uh, there are other prayers out there too. Maybe some of you learned when you were a kid, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And, and you know, there's just different little prayers that people have memorized and they just kind of, recite these prayers, but they're not really talking to God. They're just using vain, empty words. They're not really communicating with the Lord. They're just praying vainly. Now, as Baptists, we probably don't do that so much in terms of just repeating uh, uh, memorized prayers so much, but I believe it is possible, 
And many times we're probably guilty of praying in vanity or, or in other words, praying and, and saying certain words but not really having the, the, a heart of prayer behind them. Uh, maybe one example would be praying over a meal. Uh, and sometimes, you know, those things... Um, <laughs> I don't want to tell on my kids too much, so I won't tell you which one has done this a couple of times, but, but times where it's like, okay, it's bedtime, let's have a word of prayer and talk to the Lord, and, and someone, you know, will start praying and say, Lord, we thank you for this food, and I mean, you know, we're, and it's just kind of because out of habit or whatever, you know, we're used to saying this, so we're just, we're going through the exercise of prayer, but we're not really communicating with God about the desires of our heart. And we, this can be true, reading through a prayer list. You know, we're just kind of praying over, Lord, bless this and bless that and help this and, and help them. And, and really, in essence, it, it's almost as though we're taking the Lord's name in vain when we do that. We're, we're not approaching the throne of God with fear and reverence and, and passion. We're, we're really just kind of flippantly going through the exercise of prayer, but not really talking to God. And so there is a degree of prayer that is still, he says, when ye pray, use not vain repetitions. So there's a degree of prayer that would fall into that category of vain repetitions. And by God's grace, let us never be guilty of just vain repetition in prayer. But then as I mentioned earlier, as, in fact, if you want to go there with me, James chapter 5. And I quoted it to you a moment ago, but I want you to pay special attention to the wording here. Because I mentioned that prayer changes things and prayer makes a difference. But there are some adjectives given to the type of prayer that makes a difference. Verse number 15 of James 5. It says, and the prayer of faith shall raise the sick. Do you know it's possible to pray without faith? It's possible to pray and ask the Lord to do something without actually believing that he's going to do it. And this is something I was talking to someone not long ago about, about salvation. And they were asking, you know, well, you know, is it possible for someone to, to pray a sinner's prayer but not be saved? Because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if, if they pray a prayer asking the Lord to save them, doesn't that mean automatically they're saved? And, and I went back to the fact that the calling upon the Lord is, a, is actually an outward expression of the faith in the heart, believing on the Lord and receiving His gift of salvation. And if that faith isn't there, if you, you can say the words, please save me, but if in your heart you're not believing that Christ is going to save you, you're not really getting saved. For whosoever believeth on Him should, should not perish but have everlasting life, right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So there's, there's a faith component to the prayer, we're, we're, it, there, there needs to be a reality behind what we're saying. So he says in verse 15, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. But then verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now there's some conditions put on that. One is that a man be righteous. In other words, you need to be saved. <laughs> If you want God to answer your prayers, all right? You need to know that you, you have a relationship with God. There has to be salvation there, and you have to have his righteousness applied to your life through salvation. But then even beyond that, this prayer is not just a flippant 
vain repetitious prayer, but it is a fervent prayer. It is an effectual fervent prayer. It is one that, that, that is backed by genuine uh, concern, uh, a, a sincerity, a, a, a passion, if you will. There's a fervency that goes with that prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And may the Lord help us to always pray fervently. But then I want you to go to the book of Luke. And I know we're kind of flipping back and forth quite a bit tonight, but I want to show you this from the scripture. It's not just my words. This is from the Bible. Luke chapter number 22, if you would, please. And I want to show you an example about the Lord Jesus. And I think it's fair to say, and most of us would agree, that Jesus never used vain repetitions in anything he did. And so at the very least, we would have to say that Jesus' prayer was effectual and fervent, and we know that he is righteous. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so uh, certainly the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man would apply to Jesus. But look at Luke 22 and verse number 40. It says, and when he was at the place, this is that the, the, uh, the night that he is betrayed. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. It says, when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. But notice verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. In other words, Jesus here, who is praying earnestly and effectually and fervently and talking to his heavenly father because of the, uh, the, the distress that he was under, because of the agony that he was facing as he realized and was, was, was coming to, to grips, if you will, with the, just the weight of what he was about to face in going to the cross and taking our sin upon himself, that being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. It, it actually drove him to a deeper passion in his prayer. And, and what I'm trying to show in this is that there, are, there, there is a difference between just kind of a, a prayer that you might say, you know, at, at a time when everything is going good and, and, and the sun is shining and you're on the mountaintop. There's probably a difference in a prayer that you would pray, Lord, would you bless me for this or that, and in a prayer that you would pray in a deep valley of distress, there's going to be a difference in the earnestness and, you know, these, some of these families that we're praying for that have loved ones, their lives are hanging in the balance and families are being affected by this. And, or, or, or we think of this missionary family in Ukraine that we know and our family knows them and, and loves them and, and, and just looking in the faces of their children and wondering what the future holds. You know, if they're going to be facing war, if they're going to be uh, facing potentially imprisonment or, or whatever else, abandonment by their own country. I mean, I, I'm sure that their prayers are not flippant, but fervent. I, I'm sure that when they pray and they are asking the Lord for things, that there is a seriousness about what they're doing. And I believe that the scripture bears this concept out, that there are degrees of prayer. And Hezekiah's prayer was one of real 
earnestness and fervency as he was crying out to the Lord from the depths of his heart, pleading for mercy. And folks, I believe it's important for us to pray with that same earnestness, to really cry out to God and, and, and seek Him for his, for his help. But we're not going to do that if we don't believe that prayer changes things. We're not ever going to pray with that kind of sincerity if we kind of have this idea it doesn't really matter anyway. Hezekiah apparently believed it because he cried out to the Lord. He said, I beseech thee. He's begging the Lord for something. It says that he wept sore. I wonder when, when was the last time that we pleaded with God in prayer, begging him to meet us in our time of need, pleading with him over maybe a lost soul, someone that we love, someone that we care for, that he would draw them unto himself in salvation, pleading for a wayward child that has gone astray from the Lord and just crying out to him in our time of need. It says that he wept sore. I wonder how often do we weep in our prayer to the Lord. Now, maybe, maybe you say, well, I'm not a crier. You know, I just don't show a lot of emotion. That's okay. But the truth is we probably show some emotion in other things. You know, when, uh, when, when, we, when something strikes us as kind of funny, we laugh. It comes out. It's the way that we feel about something. We, we, you know, we're, we're going to laugh about it. Or, you know, maybe when you're excited, you might, might even cheer. When you're burdened, you might weep or at least be in heaviness. We were uh, at the funeral today for Philip Black, and there were. I looked around and just saw the number of people that were wiping tears away, and some were kind of holding it in better than others. But there was a, an obvious heaviness that was there as people were saying goodbye to a loved one. I mean, th these are just real emotions that come out of us. What, what's going on in our heart will eventually come out. Our countenance shows forth what's really going on in the heart. And I just have to believe that if we're sincere and honest before the Lord in prayer, that there are going to be times that we're overcome with emotion. There's going to be some tears that flow. And, and folks, I just, I'm not trying to get in your personal business. It's between you and God. But I just want to ask, when was the last time that you got on your face before God and just wept and cried out to Him? Is our heart really crying out to the Lord? Or are we just kind of going through the motions of prayer when we pray? Hezekiah didn't have that luxury. But I want you to notice also that we see not only the, the, that desperation of Hezekiah in his prayer, but I want you to see the Lord's response to that desperation. And this is, this is to me the most exciting part of this passage of Scripture. Because it says in verse number 4, It came to pass, afore Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him. Not only did the Lord respond to this prayer, but he responded to the prayer immediately. He didn't wait for Isaiah to go home and a few days to pass and, and uh, you know, for weeks to go by and finally say, okay, Isaiah, I want you to go back to Hezekiah. No, as soon as Hezekiah prayed, 
the Lord sent the prophet back. You know what that tells me? That God is interested in responding to our prayers. Now, here's the thing. I, I'm not saying that every time you pray or you pray fervently that you can expect that God is going to answer immediately. He does not always do that. There are times that we do just have to wait and be patient and be persistent and, and, and seeking the Lord. But here's what we need to know. There's not like a, like a seven business day waiting period for God to hear our prayers. Okay, Regardless of what you're seeing as far as an answer today, you can know in the very moment that you're praying, God is hearing. You're touching the heart of the Lord in that very moment. So he, he responded immediately. Notice verse number 5, the words of the Lord here. Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer. Sometimes wouldn't it be nice if we could close out our prayer and say amen, and then just hear a voice from heaven that said, I've heard your prayer. Wouldn't that be comforting? Okay, Lord, I can trust you. You've heard me. But you know what? We might not audibly hear that voice, but the scripture is clear. When we pray, he hears. That ought to bring great confidence and peace to our hearts. That even though I might not feel like anything has changed, I have, I have just touched the heart of God. That he has heard me. And then notice he says, I have heard thy prayer. And he says, I have seen thy tears. Do you know that God is not, not only factually interested in our lives, but he is personally touched by our lives. Another, he, he, he told Hezekiah, I've seen your tears. Now why would, why would God, the sovereign ruler of the universe, mention to Hezekiah that he had seen his tears? Because he's acknowledging that he understands the burden on Hezekiah's heart. He's acknowledging Hezekiah I understand that your petition to me is coming from a place of deep sorrow and pain. I've seen your tears. I don't know if there's anything more baffling to me about God than the fact that he cares about how I feel. We are not a feeling-driven people, at least we ought not to be. Our faith is not rooted in how we feel, but in what we know, based on thus saith the Lord. However, it would be foolish of us to think that God does not care about the burdens of our hearts. 1 Peter 5 tells us, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And when your heart is stirred and when your heart is moved and you shed tears over your burdens, don't be 
don't believe and don't be deceived into thinking that God does not see and hear and care. Because he does. Hebrews 4 tells us that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In other words, in the same, that, that, that our Savior, our high priest in heaven, he is, he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He cares. He feels what we feel. There's a, a song that's come out in the last several years sung by uh, Ben Everson. And in that song, it, it talks about how the Lord goes before us. And, and, and it says that there's, there's no valley and no pain that we ever face that He's not there with us. And, and one of the statements that is made is that He cries our tears before we do. <laughs> he knows us. He, we, we read last week, or yeah, last week in Psalm 103, that as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. In the same way that you would have compassion on your child, and, and, and many of us have at times sat next to our child or laid next to our child while they're uh, weeping and crying about something and just felt in our hearts the same pain that they were feeling, maybe even more so, because we just wish we could fix it for them. But God knows what we need, and He, too, cares about our burdens. I want you to go with me to the book of Psalms, if you would. Psalm 56. Psalm 56. Psalm 56 and verse number 8. It says, Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle, are they not in thy book? In other words, God is keeping record of every tear that you shed. He knows your pain. He knows the difficulties that you face. And he cares enough to not only acknowledge, but to even to remember. He cares. And so here we, we see, just from this simple prayer of Hezekiah, I mean, it's just a, a few verses long, but we, we get some great insight into our Father in heaven and how we can cry out to Him and, and how we can bear our heart to Him and know that He hears us and He cares for us and that prayer changes things. So tonight my challenge to you from these scriptures that we've looked at is to when we approach the throne of our Heavenly Father, let's never forget that this isn't just some religious ritual that we do. But we actually have the opportunity to approach the, the ruler of all the universe as our Heavenly Father who meets our needs and we can pour out our hearts, pour out our souls before Him and know that He is able to change things and that He can and does change things. 